Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Welcome. My name is Brenda Lanoff of the Brenda's Mindful Healing Show. I'm a intuitive practitioner and I incorporate many different healing modalities and work with individuals on uh, Skype, now Zoom, and uh, phone, several countries in the world. And uh, I love to provide sessions that are geared toward a person's individual, you know, their concerns. So the intent of this show is to reveal how energy healing is a complement, it's not a conflict with Western medicine. And anyone who wants to experience some, you know, unique and powerful ways to complement your current practices. If you are a patient, a healthcare professional, a holistic healer, or any individual looking for some transformation, I, I welcome you. Uh, tonight, my guest is Robert Williams. Um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Robert. Uh, I'm just going to mention here at the beginning that he has a book. He's an author of Love is a Power, Moving from Humanity from Fear to Love. And I'm going to give you further information as to Robert. Robert's book, it really captures the vivid memories and near-death experiences. And he... He learned of various, uh, and he was transfixed, I should say, uh, with uh, various uh, near-death and out-of-body experiences, which he he reveals within his book. And this all comes down to the purpose of humanity, and this is why I'm so excited to talk to Robert, and that is as to realize love. And Robert describes the love is the power. It's not about the search of, you know, love, romance, or otherwise, but it's rather of being love. At a young age, Will, uh, Robert had the ability to see auras and the capacity for being a clairvoyant. And he tuned into the natural world the way not many others have. In Love is the Power, he shares a valuable message, simple yet necessarily vast to its core. Robert is considered one of the world's foremost experts in subtle energy, engineering, and technology. Robert's an inventor, a musician, and educator. He lectures at leading universities and is the inventor and developer of quantum co-technology. In addition to teaching music at the university level, Robert recorded and has performed such artists as the Beach Boys, uh, Paul Horn, and Charles Lloyd. So he's worked with prominent scientists, including Dr. William Tiller, Dr. Beverly Rubick, Dr. Rustam Roy, and Dr. Stuart Krasner. So uh, thank you, Robert. You have quite um, a background. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really pleased that you're able to come on, and I'm loving the topic here today. And I, and I, I just thank you for, for sharing your, 
your your information that that's so desperately needed right now on Earth. So, um, thank you, Robert, for coming Brenda, on. A, thank you, Brenda. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, it really is. I, I've read I've, I've read your website, and your experiences are quite extraordinary as well. And so, it's a privilege to be on your show and to be part of your audience and talking about the uh, the heart and talking about love. Yes, and uh, well, it's interesting. That definitely captured my attention, the heart, uh, due to my own um, cardiac arrest and uh, near-death experience. Um, however, and, and not to compare, and that's not my intent, but I... I'm so fascinated. I was able to read as much as possible with uh, within the book that um, within your book here, and uh, I I'm so fascinated with uh, with your near death experiences <laughs> and and the light that you um, you refer to within your um, experiences. So um, I know that you quoted that. Um, this is absolutely no doubt that we have enough people on this planet right now to make a difference. And I believe that that's true. I believe that we are at a turning point. And I'm excited about it. So your book is so timely, Robert. Um, can you tell me, at you, at, you describe how at a very young age, uh, again, how you have had the ability to see auras and be a clairvoyant. Um, can you sort of go back in that time and just sort of bring us through some some highlights that you have mentioned within your book, and uh, that's led you to this journey so far? Sure. You know, the clairvoyant is um, it's interesting, and I you know I've had it my whole life and for a long long time. In my early years, I didn't make sense of it. I couldn't understand it, so I discounted it. Now, clairvoyance is almost like peripheral vision. So we've all kind of played those games at some point when we learn about the eye, our physical eyes. We look straight, and we have those are our primary vision, so we're looking. But if you kind of like, without moving your eye, notice that your eye is also taking in the periphery. So we, So I'm looking at... Uh, I have to confess, my computer and your website, I'm looking at your beautiful mm-hmm. picture. You know, I can see that with my primary focus, but I can also see the side of my desk and the plant over here without moving my eye. So clairvoyance is kind of like that. It it takes a little shift of attention um, to recognize these uh, subtle um, activities. And like any good practitioner of an art, uh, for instance, um, I have a good friend who's a dentist. He's a great dentist, really good, holistic dentistry. And when he looks at somebody, he is so um, knowledgeable about how the jaw, you know, the different ways a person's mouth looks that he's not clairvoyant, but he can say, you know what, uh, you've got some infection or you have a crown that is out of place or whatever. The jaw is out of, you know, you've got something going on doesn't mean he's special. It just means, well, it does and it doesn't. It doesn't mean that mm-hmm. he's, he's got a, a unique ability. It's just that he's practiced and practiced and practiced and looked at all the different, you know, and so now his specialty is to look at a person's whole body 
and identify what's going on with your teeth and dental issues. So like that. Is, is he yeah. able to scan? Does he just mentally scan the body and and yeah, track it to a particular you know, he area? Does, he doesn't admit it. He's just like he's been studying just how how a person's jaw and mouth looks for so many years that he can look and then see or or deduce what's mm-hmm. going on dentally. So like that, I I have studied clairvoyance, and occasionally I will look and then be able to interpret what I'm seeing around a person or in a person or in a in a garden or, you know, mm-hmm. out in space. Uh, but it took practice. It wasn't as if, oh, I looked at an aura or I saw somebody's aura and I knew what it meant. It was just, in the beginning, it was just a phenomenon and I didn't understand it. Um, which is a bit different than intuitions, you know. I think we all have those moments where we just know something, we're guided, we're, we have our intuition on high alert for something. That's a knowingness. Those moments also came to me, but not through clairvoyance. Um, okay. Does that kind of give you an idea? Well, yeah, interesting. Um, and, but I, I definitely, what I want to ask, the question I want to ask you right now, what was it about March 20th, 1979? <laughs> because yeah. I'm thinking, okay, what happened in 1979? Whether you were born or not, whether you were whatever you were doing, we experienced a 30-minute event. Yes. <laughs> what is that, this 30-minute event? The 30-minute, that's an approximation, by the way. That event okay. is is my way of describing what is what can be called a near death experience. I okay. I was living in Santa Barbara. I'd been playing with the Beach Boys for about three years and became active in a production company uh, for motion picture soundtracks and so forth. So I was in the entertainment business and that was great, but I was also very sick and became more and more sick, more and more ill as the years progressed. The doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. So there was one um, one epiphany that happened prior to the near-death experience, and that was when the doctors just said, look, if you keep continuing to degress and get sicker and sicker and your liver's inflamed and your kidneys don't work and your lungs are congested and all these things were happening, they said, if I continued to go that direction, I would be dead and six months. we got to get you in the hospital. Although they didn't know why I was so sick. So talking about intuition, I just felt, no, that's not my path. I, mm-hmm. And common sense, you could say, my intellect is saying, well, they haven't been able to figure me out for the last three years. Why all of a sudden in the hospital with just more doctors and more equipment would, would I be able to build up? So for better or worse, I decided not to go into the hospital and just release this this fear that I wasn't ever going to get well. I, I still had the desire to get well, and I still had fear. But I, in a sense, kind of gave up my, my hysteria around trying to find out what was wrong with me, and I, in a sense, trusted. One morning I woke up. And I, and I was stumbling to the bathroom, and I either 
tell you the truth, Brenda, I don't remember this part, but I either passed out or I tripped and hit my head. Because when I got back in my body, which I'll tell you about, uh, there was blood on my, you know, there was a wound on my head. Uh, stumbling to the, so I was on my way to the bathroom, and the next thing I knew, I was looking at my body on the bathroom floor. So I was above, so to speak, looking, and I thought, how can this be? You know, what is the mechanism of sight if I'm not in my brain, if I'm not in my body? Who's who's the witness here? Um, with a thought, but then I then I had the other thought. The next thought was, I'm dying, or I've died. And I was young at the time, didn't have my didn't have my daughter, wasn't married, you know, didn't have too many attachments, to tell you the truth. And I thought, well, that's fine. I, I believed in higher dimensions, and I didn't believe that that we only have one life and that's it. So maybe it was that belief that allowed the next experience, which was just complete light. I didn't go through a tunnel or anything like many of us have talked about with near-death experiences, seeing people that have passed on before us. Mine was just looking, seeing my body on the bathroom floor and then total light. Say light because there's really no other word. It could be synonymous with complete love. Light, not like the sunlight or bulb, but just just this freedom and bliss. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize the freedom and bliss and, and pure love until I became just a little bit separated from it, which is an interesting reflection. Okay, it is. As if, yeah, it was kind of like you wake up from a, a dream and then you, oh, I just had this dream that was really nice, a good dream, let's say. So there was light, and then I became just a little bit separated from the light. And so then there's two things, right? There's the light, and then there's something perceiving the light. And you could say three things. Then there's this process of perception which I learned about. So that was the moment where I gained recognition or gained consciousness of this brilliant reality, this brilliant substance and fundamental essence of everything. And that light didn't end. It, it it's not, wasn't like a, you know, not like the sun. It just was everywhere. It's, it's the substance of our own truth. Okay. There was a master that that showed up, and whether I projected that mentally or whether he was real, I believe uh-huh. he was real. And there was a choice given to me: do I go back to the light, or do I go back to my body? Um, I asked if I had a purpose. The answer was yes. It was kind of a gravity that at first I was feeling back to the light. I wanted to, that freedom again. I wanted that bliss. And hearing and understanding that I had a purpose to remain or go back to my body, then I said, of course, then, okay, so be it. That's when I saw a bunch of different things. So you could say in my coming back to my body or descending, these are words that don't quite describe it. There's no ascension or descension, but you could say it that way if you want. There's this feeling of more and more substance around our subtle bodies, my subtle body. And then finally, 
awakening in my physical body once again and kind of, you know, wiggling my toes. And this was March of March 20th, 1979, the event. The experience of those times away from my body and then maybe the most important experience was back in my body, hearing the sounds of the garden, hearing the sounds of the ocean. Mm-hmm. We lived in a beautiful place, Santa Barbara, the ocean, garden, the trees, the birds, those nature sounds. Not only hearing them, which I did with my physical ears, but understanding them in a way I could have never imagined. There is an intelligence that is governing. There's that light that has taken like a rainbow. So the rainbow is always there, right? Anywhere anywhere on Earth there can be a rainbow. All you need is the right combination of water and sunlight or light mm-hmm. and an environment. And in the rainbow, all the seven colors just appear. Right? It's not like each time a new, each time a rainbow is created, but each time in the right circumstances, you can see the rainbow. A rainbow is revealed. So, like that, I, it was revealed to me this intelligence, this light, that is the substance of our physicality. And so, the birds were singing in in an intelligent way. The, the intervals, the ocean sounds, the insects it was all part of this amazing potential or this amazing the amazing intelligence of earth and what was even more profound was that i realized that same intelligence that was governing nature itself was governing my own heartbeat was governing my breath now mm-hmm. that it was breathing again and, and okay. if we think about it you know where where do our bodies come from they come from this earth the elements are all the same you know, and and our yes, our, I believe our spirits come from other dimensions. But there's a conjug there's a relationship that is sacred between our physical bodies and our spiritual bodies, and that sacredness, or the you could say the the sacred connection, is via this intelligence, these yes. frequencies, or these codes of life that you know. If we had to figure out how to keep our heart beating correctly, we couldn't do it. If we had to figure out how a cell is going to rejuvenate in our left knee right now, all these things are happening miraculously. I have a daughter to, to, to see, like, the stages within nine months of all these different changes, sometimes minute by minute. The intelligence is built in to our very fabric. That's what I began to understand. And it's interesting, and you've within your book, you're mentioning that during this time of Earth, things begin to effortlessly appear relative to our state of consciousness. So depending on where we are at this moment in time is our ability to perceive what is there, our ability to understand what you know our our psychic abilities. But so when you see state of consciousness, how, what do you what do you mean by state of consciousness? Great question. Let's start with sleep state of consciousness. So we are pretty much unconscious when we're sleeping mm-hmm. deep sleep, right? There's no consciousness. So there's one. Then we have dream consciousness, dream state. We have dreams. Then we have waking state. But it doesn't just 
it's not just one state in waking, there are, nor is it in dream or deep sleep, by the way, but there's various states of consciousness we can have in our waking state. So the example, we grow as consciousness. So we are infants. Our consciousness is undifferentiated. We're, we're not separated from our mothers or anybody or anything when we're born and brain um, uh, researchers have seen this. There's no differentiation between an infant's brain waves and, and his or her mm-hmm. mother's, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's a then there's a, a break and there's a sense of I-ness. So we, our consciousness is growing, you could say, going through different phases. And yeah. then there's this, yeah, then, then consciousness takes certain directions and that's part of the grand mystery. So in my case, it took the direction of learning about music. So my consciousness at first was just being able to play, was able to play a little bit on my saxophone, and then I got better and better and better. So I became more conscious of music, more conscious of my saxophone. That was my path. We all have our paths, and our consciousness is a co-creator along with our choice to explore different avenues of creation creator, creative intelligence. No matter if we're a musician or no matter what we're doing, we are conscious. So what I, what I talk about in the book and what I believe and see, like the rainbow, um, the rainbow is always there. And then once we have the consciousness of perception and the environment is also in the right way with the rain, let's say, and the sunlight, then the rainbow appears. It's a dualistic, it's, a, it's the environment, the water, mm-hmm. the rain, and the sun, and our own perception, our own consciousness. If we were in deep sleep, we wouldn't see the rainbow, we wouldn't see anything. If we were in dream state, we wouldn't see it. We, ha- we are in waking state. We have the ability to see a certain spectrum of light, the seven colors of the rainbow. By the way, let's just as a really fascinating aside, they... Uh, there are historians that believe that a long time ago, humans could not see the color purple or the color blue. So the rainbow wow. consisted only of five colors because their consciousness had not evolved. Their nervous systems mm-hmm. had not evolved to the point where they could see um, blue and, and purple. That is interesting. How, how long ago was this discovery made? Does it give a time frame? Yeah, like uh, in the first or second century, because it, the color wasn't in any of the art, nor was it talked about. Oh. Yeah. oh, interesting. And, of course, you could go back to the art galleries of that particular era, time frame. And, uh, oh, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah, now before before I, I get accused of fake news, I never really researched <laughs> that. I heard about it, you know. And, you know uh, so I'm saying it, let's just say yeah. it, it's, a, it's a metaphor. Okay. Because somebody's going right. to say, wait a minute, there's blue in the second century. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, the point is we can see, we have the consciousness to see what we're seeing right now. If our consciousness expands, we will see and experience more. And that is... I believe, inevitable, and it has to do with the cycles of life, the seasons of life. We do not see a flowering garden in the dead of winter. It's just not, it's not the season for it. 
when springtime happens in the, the flowers, that's the season for the blossoming. And so that's four seasons in one year. The, all species go, go through seasons and cycles and phases of evolution and phases of awakeness or phases of aliveness. Humans have gone through a long time of a certain kind of consciousness, a certain aspect of life, a certain reality that they've shared as humans. Now we're, we're, we're in a paradigm shift. And so the analogy of the stem of a rose, the green stem of a rose breaking down, and it literally breaks down. There's more chaos in the cells. Some of the cells mm-hmm. go down the side. There's a breaking down of that stem system to give way to the next phase of the rose, which is the flowering. And that's a trans, a huge transformation. And we remember the caterpillar to the butterfly. There, there's all kinds of examples. And the two things about those kind of transformations, the rate of change during the actual um, change from the stem to the flower or the caterpillar to the butterfly is sometimes a hundred times that of the previous state. So there's the caterpillar life and it's just crawling along, stable, the immune system of the caterpillar is functioning to keep the caterpillar of the caterpillar and it's eating and, you know, doing its thing. And then something overtakes it. Laws of nature overtake it. Whether and the caterpillar actually resists it. The immune system fights this change and tries to keep it in a in that state. But it can't. There's an overriding code, overriding uh, frequency of a blueprint that says your time is up as a caterpillar. Now it's time to go through this chrysalis stage and the nation into this butterfly. So humans are going through something very similar right now, Brenda. I I, I totally um, agree with you. We, we're going through major, major transition, and uh, many people are just starting to wake up. And I, I believe for the impasse, uh, the light workers, uh, we know we've been aware of this for quite some time, and we're actually feeling quite bombarded with um, the energies that are coming through right now because we're on the front line. And um, it's uh, it, it can be um, um, difficult, and I, I think what I, what I, one of the things I love about you know your your, your book is that it really gives um, a further confirmation that um, we are going through these transitions, and uh, and there there is uh, more light you know coming at the at the end of the tunnel, and uh, this is all the. Um, as you say, this the manifestation or uh, the transition as to the you know the, the caterpillar, as you're referring to. So, um, I, I I do want to go back to a moment here. I loved your story about Jing, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and it just reminds me of when I was very very young of of having. I, I felt that I could see these little people running underneath my bed, and I could never talk about it. Then all of a sudden, they disappeared. So when I read your chapter about um, about Jing and ch- chapters uh, of how that this Jing was with you, and then sort of he disappeared, um, I could uh, really feel that uh, feel that sadness uh, for you. Jing was. Um I believe a um, 
a nature spirit okay. and or a nature being. Um, they are all around us. Jean was special uh, for various reasons. And so back to clairvoyance. So I did grow up seeing spinning things in the backyard and seeing different things that had different forms and different bodies, if you will. And mm-hmm. Jing was very special. He was more more present. There was an exchange of information and, and uh, you could say friendship and love. And he stayed with me through my childhood until I became around, I think, 11 or 12 years old. I, When puberty yeah. came on, I remember those hormonal changes. And Jing came to me and said, I can't see you anymore. And I was so like, what? What are you saying? You know, please don't leave me. And he just just said, I have to. Mm-hmm. Time for you, you know. He was, just bid me farewell, and, and I've never seen him again. So two possibilities. One is that I imagined the whole thing, what my parents uh-huh. thought, and, you know, who can say uh-huh. what's in your imagination, what is real or not. The other possibility is that he, he is real or he was real, and there are beings that are not perceived by physical light sources, that uh, you can even say in the category of our guides and angels, mm-hmm. the whole conversation. So Jing, um, I believe he was real because of what he taught me. Um, I was just a boy, and he I remember him very distinctly leading me over to places in the garden, like a snail crawling along, and sh- and sh- pointing at the snail and, and, and explaining, you could say, Telepathically, it wasn't like he had a voice and we were talking like this, but you could, it was some kind of communication that I remember being distinctly from him and being heard by me. And he would say, notice how the, the snail and notice how the shell is made and notice how it, 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 it matches all the other shells, but it's never the same. All these things that uh-huh. I've read about since then, but he was teaching me for some reason. So I... When I was an early teenager, I, I went back and I remembered all the things that he, or most of the things that he showed me and taught me, and found them in textbooks. I go, oh my God, I remember this from Jing. Of course, I couldn't say this to any of my teachers or parents, sister. They, they, occasionally what I did, they just, oh yeah, it's imagination, you know, or yeah. maybe, you're, maybe you're crazy, you know, don't, we don't want to hear too much more about that guy, Jing. But I believe he was real. And I believe we all have our guides, whether we can see them or not. I, I know that we can feel them if we pay attention. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we have our, and we just have to be. You know, it's being open. And I, I love the expression. You know, let go, let God. So it's just like letting go, and the guard. You know, our guards are allowing the guards to come down. Uh, and just being, you know, ready and willing to uh, receive and perceive, you know, what is there and, and allowing that information to come in. It just basically being open, looking outside of the box. And uh, so uh, your story is to Jang, and it was just, <laughs> you know, it's a, it was just a little sad for me again because uh, there was uh, – uh, 
you know, there was a time and place for Jing to be, you know, be in your life and to guide you. And then it was time to move on. And, and you did find a replacement for that with your music. So, um, yeah, that's just a beautiful story. I bet you if we had a show of hands in your in audience right now, how many of you have seen little, like you said, little people in and out of your bed? Um, how many of you have had that memory or have had memories, have memories of, of beings like that that are kind of shimmery, invisible-like? I bet you more than one I know would be raising their hand right now. Do you so think that? Yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. It's a, when people are in a safe environment, I'm amazed at how many uh, people admit to seeing um, celestial beings and mm-hmm. nature entities and spirits and whatever you call them, Davis. Um, you know, very, very conventional scientists have said, well, I remember one time, you know, uh, right. we're, uh, we're approaching an age where it's more um, acceptable to yes. talk about these kind of experiences, just like it is more yes. acceptable to talk about meditation and yoga these days than it was in the in the 70s. Oh, we've come such a long ways. <laughs> it, it, it is amazing, and, and thank goodness. And, and it is a great time to be here on Earth as to this time, again. But it is a great yeah. time that we, we chose to be here. I do believe that. And um, and now it's like we have this time, like an opportunity to really step out and shine. And you know, master our gifts and, you know, just be ourselves and, and, and being, feeling safe about that. Not we're going to be, you know, persecuted because of the way that we think and we're perceived by society, by our family. So I, 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 you know, I commend you for, again, for bringing this book out. And, uh, I, uh, I love your, uh, you know, paraphrases, uh, throughout, throughout the chapters, so tell me what happened after uh, your 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 nature spirit after Jang. What what uh, what what was the next step in um, throughout your your time your your evolution as after Jang? Well, immediately afterwards, I just got very depressed, mm-hmm. and I was still able to see auras. By the way, it didn't, in, it didn't stop the clairvoyance, but Jing was gone. And I would call for him and, would, you know, pray. Well, he just never showed back. So I I was very sad. But there was a certain feeling around Jing that I was searching for, a certain safety, a certain zone. You know, we talk about being in the zone or being in a certain cool space of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I did find that replacement in a different way than a nature spirit with my music. So I would... I started playing saxophone when I was seven, so I've been playing for a while. And now I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, and, you know, I was playing still. But then there would be certain times where I'd be playing and I'd have that feeling again. Like, wow, you know, I was I was good enough on the sax. I wasn't really good, but I was good enough that I could start to just play and feel like something was playing playing through me or or the music was playing itself and I was a witness to that and you know just started to play different things improvisationally and I had that same feeling or a very mm-hmm. similar feeling of that freedom of that source of creativity that I had with Jing in and out in nature 
So yeah, that, so then I became really, I couldn't wait to come home from school and practice my sax and join the bands and stuff. So that was my next phase of of uh, integration, integrating the um, that state of consciousness that we all have, that freedom, that source of creativity. How did your parents react to you as a child? <laughs> I couldn't imagine yeah. when, <laughs> when you were awake. And, oh my goodness! Interesting. Very, well, they were concerned many many uh, of the time, most of the time. But I also was secretive. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd, I'd come home or before school, I would just be in the backyard. I had we had a fenced-in backyard, so it was safe, you know. And I began digging and just being back there, so my mom didn't worry. And that those were my times alone. Yeah. My sister is older, so she had her own world. Four years older. My but when I would re, when I would report my experiences, sur- certainly when I was young, you know, parents just rolled their eyes. Oh, it's just a child, you know, imagination. When I got into be my, a, a teenager, then they became concerned. What are, <laughs> are you? What What are you seeing? Robert? Well, I see these things here and there, you know, out in the garden. <laughs> now I was too old to be imagining things so i remember to going to doctors and this was the 50s so maybe they have something these days that brain waves or whatever but of course the doctors couldn't find anything and i responded to all the basic um um procedures you know like mm-hmm. reflexes <laughs> follow follow the pen with with you know with your right. eyes and you know <laughs> can you look up and down you know yeah does he have a brain tumor no okay well, they just said, you know, he's just a boy. That's odd. Just don't worry about it. So I think my parents got used to it, but I also got used to not sharing. And I was just a young boy with similar problems that other boys had, going to school and playing my saxophone um, and getting into trouble and stuff like the other kids. So I kept <laughs> my clairvoyance secret and yeah. I kept all the experience that I had I, I had had previously secret too. I did have a diary, though. I, have, I still have these diaries, and I talk about Jane and stuff. still written when I was 9, 10, wow. years old. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I referred to my diaries in, in the writing of my book just to get some clarification of, like, the day that I experienced this and that. There's a, there's a, there's a story in the book when I experienced um, psychic energy when I was in junior high. With a girl in my class, remember that part? I wrote I remember all about reading that. About, yes. yes. Yeah, I wrote all about that in in my diary, pages and pages, because it really affected me. So I'm not going to say it because yeah. I, I want everybody to read the book and and get their own opinions from these crazy stories. <laughs> wow, interesting. Um, how you know I'm I'm interested about the dimensions and and how you describe your journaling the different dimensions how how did you perceive or how did you feel or how tell me about the dimensions and how that came to you working with dimensions okay let's say we talked about dreaming the dream state of consciousness let's say that we learned to remember our dreams and and analyze them people have mm-hmm. i never did it by the way but just as an example it's one state of consciousness reflecting and doing a commentary on another state of consciousness so when you're when you're dreaming there is 
I'm with the exception of being aware in your dream, but when you're dreaming, you're usually just in that state. You don't know any other state. Then you wake up, and now you can go back. So going through the different dimensions was similar. Is still I still do it. It's similar. When the, there are portholes or doorways into our higher consciousness or our more holistic consciousness. I don't like the term higher as opposed to lower, you know. Mm-hmm. They are more holistic. They're more of who we are. There are little doorways. A good example is, is um, when, if, if you're a writer, by the way, Brenda, and you're, you're a creative person, I'm sure occasionally you've experienced writer's block. You know, there's something that's in the way, and you can't, things are not flowing. All of us have experienced that, no matter what, mm-hmm. whether we're authors or not. There's like a block of our creative intelligence, our creative potential. And then there's a release, and there's something that happens suddenly, and whoa, we get these insights, or we get, you know, we start writing, and it's just coming out, or we're composing. That's like the doorway, the little portal to a higher dimensional, higher dimension opens for hopefully more than a second. And that's mm-hmm. what interdimensional travel does. It, 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 I've been able to identify those doorways. Here's, the, here's the, one of the mm-hmm. secrets. Yeah. Usually the doorways are closed in areas that we resist the most. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm afraid of public speaking which I was. So there's one, two ways to deal with that. Just don't public speak, you know, and, and just my attention on other things besides, oh, I'm going to talk in front of my class, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, or, now this is the what I learned the hard way, but all right, just accept that fear of public speaking in this case. Accept it. And that's, okay. That's, yeah. And the more... I loved and just released myself into that resistance, the more, well, at first, it's, it's more difficult. The resistance increases or the fear increases and the body begins to shake, maybe. But if, if you keep going, then it just, you pop out of it. And then you're in a... Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's an interesting way of looking at it, Tom. For any, anywhere that you have to sort of push out of your comfort zone, um, yeah. and and ex- public speaking is actually a very good example. Um, so interesting. No, I I I love your analogy with that. I was I, I will say that my when I had the near death experience, I lost my fear of death. Mm. Now, the body still has its program, like the caterpillar body. So, yeah. you know, it's like if I wanted to stop my breath, I couldn't. We're programmed. The body can't do it, you know. And, and if I wanted to make my heart go, maybe I could learn to affect my heartbeat. But mm-hmm. there's so many things that are ingrained that are automatic, and I don't have any any power over that unless I right. Boss, right? But if there, but there is something that I learned after 1979 that I, I don't recommend anybody or, but going into that fear of death I was able to come up against that resistance to, to death that the body has the 
body intelligence and the mind and the emotions are saying, do not pass, go, you know, go, do not pass this point of, of this boundary or this physical reality. I would, I was able to breathe in a certain way and go past that and then pop out into higher dimensional body, like seeing my body on the bathroom floor. So I began mm-hmm. to do that. Um, many times and and when it was when my time was up as as you could say um, in these higher dimensions learning different things then my time was up I didn't you know I had to go back and and it would be like um, like somebody waking you up you know you resist like oh mm-hmm. come on you know and then oh you, now you're awake and that was hopefully a, a good thing mom wakes you up for for breakfast so I so that we have that, those forces that, that, or those forces that kept me back, coming back to my body. And then I'd write it all down in my journal. I'd remember it. I'd do a commentary on it. I'd go back and ask more questions and go back and forth like that. How many near-death experiences have you had? Well, you know, those experiences, people that were with me at the time, said that my body would, you know, I would be sitting like in meditation or in prayer and my body would become gray and they'd come up and they, they couldn't hear my breath and they couldn't see my pulse. But you know what? I was not on a, you know, on a medical device. I don't know if my heart was beating really slow or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that happened many, many times. I mean, hundreds. Okay. Um, really? The, yeah. Uh, over, over many years, for many years. The, the, the clinical near death. I've had a couple of those in the hospital, and and those were different. That's when you know mm-hmm. I had something stuck in my esophagus and I couldn't breathe, and those were more clinical. You know, where mm-hmm. the heart actually in, in okay observation of medical people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know, with my near death experience, I have no memory of really anything happening or traveling or looking down on my body but um, I had truly had changed afterwards and I was quite fearless so uh, I don't think you can um, return from a near-death experience without it radically uh, changing you for you know forever Mm. yeah and you know that fearless state is our natural state okay our our I think those of us uh, like you, Brenda, and many of us who have had the near-death experience, um, in a sense, we needed to be jarred. Maybe we were more stubborn, and we had to have such an experience to yes. awaken, awaken that <laughs> state of fearlessness. Because mm. I have seen it in my own life, and I've seen it with many other people, that state of fearlessness, you know, and they're in that higher mm-hmm. state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, the Dalai Lama, if anybody has been around him for a long time, for more than a few minutes, you feel this, he's like, he's in a different state of consciousness. He's mm-hmm. overcome, I would say, most, if not all of his fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I didn't hear about wow. his, you know, any near-death things. So he's been able to develop that, or be he's been able to cultivate that reality. And that mm-hmm. comes back to the season we are approaching. 
the blossoming of humanity. It's going to be a sudden thing. The chaos is here. It's obvious. We look at our political and economic systems around the world, not in every instance, but in, as a generality, there's a lot yeah. of breaking down. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of disorder. That's a the, sign. The, yeah, there is. And it's interesting because um, I know for myself, I'm um, becoming calmer. And I guess that's one of our roles is to help others that are in that chaos. But it certainly is out there. And uh, you just have to walk out the street. And it uh, can be just simply people driving erratically and, you know, uh, the just behavior and um Rudeness, and I mean, it just goes on and on, but it it really is chaos. It'll it be interesting to see what yeah. happens here in another. I'm just hoping it calms down here in another year or so, but I I don't know. Who knows? I guess. Well, you're you're um, radiating out calmness, and calmness is another expression for less fear, if not fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean, Brenda, for your listeners, and I, you know, it doesn't mean that if you were walking down the street and a tiger came running out of the woods at you, or a car, you know, that you would just kind of allow your calmness to continue and you get run over yeah. or beaten up. You know, you still have those those intrinsic, um, intelligent cells that say, "Oh, get the heck out of the way now," and you'll, oh. you'll react. Definitely. I, I find yeah. I, I do alternate from tremendous anger to calmness. And I think a lot of us are picking up the energy of chaos, especially as impasse. So it could be that it's not your particular anger, but you're picking up on it and it's catching yourself like, oh, okay, perhaps this isn't mine. Perhaps I'm picking up on more of a collective conscious level. And learning to identify uh, that um, it may not be yours at all, and just letting it go. You want to see an ang- you want to see anger? Look at a mother whose child is being taken away. Oh yeah. You know, and that <laughs> yes. is anger. That is that is along with whatever it's going to take to protect the child. It makes me cry. I'm a father. Um, yeah. So we talk about our mother earth, and we talk about tragedies and cruelty it is built in that we we know that that's not necessary certainly mm-hmm. not necessary we know that life is not programmed with cruelty and even suffering we yeah. know it it's, that's in our hearts and when we see it happening and when we feel it happening there is that mother's instinct to, to use that ferocity to for, for the protection of our children yeah. and ourselves, actually. Yes, so is, I, I. You know, I'm I'm generalizing. You know, you can be angry and and for the wrong reason or whatever. But I'm gen, I'm sensing your anger. Let's just say that your anger is coming from that anger of Mother Earth and what's going on. Yes. That's, well, that's it's been interesting. Yeah, very interesting. It is. That is um, picking up on a level that's totally beyond our consciousness. Um, and like you say, it could be Mother Earth just 
the sadness of what Mother Earth is experiencing. You know, we're getting close to the hour. I'm just enjoying this so much, but I do want to um, have you talk about here this quantum jump uh, physics, call it. If you could get into the uh, fear to love, uh, healing the heart of humanity, and 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 how you um, use the quantum co-technology. If you could discuss that and give some information on that, and and how are you blending? How does this um, how is this communicating, or uh, how does this work as as far as your beliefs and and what you're portraying within your book? How is this helping us as as human beings on Earth right now? So you remember I just talked about going in and out of dimensions, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, going to a source of intelligence, a source of creative information that was way beyond my mind. Um, one, One of the things that I continued to see were... Um, mandalas or geometries, often called sacred geometries, and they're symbols. Now, musicians know that if you see five straight lines and a treble clef, you know, and and uh, some notes, um, musicians know, or any most of us know that that means there's some something to do with music, right? So we. First level of consciousness yes. is, oh, there's something to do with music there, even if you don't know notes. Then you learn, oh, that's, that's a middle C. That's a symbol for middle C. And then at a certain state of consciousness, you glance at that and you hear the note. Then at a certain state of consciousness, you don't need the music. So those symbols that are all around us, that are considered sacred geometric positioning, they're in, they're in mandala forms usually, they're found in all the indigenous art, Cherokee art, Taoist art, Hindu art, Christian art. They are, they are relationships, symbols, if you will. And the symbols are here to activate intelligence, to activate certain levels of consciousness. Back to the music. So if I am Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, I tap in to that creative place, a beautiful song comes out of me, right? And I've worked with Brian, so I know I've seen this mm-hmm. amazing love. He's like Amadeus, you know, where he just saw, he just would download an entire song, all the parts, my oh. sax part, all the horn, the trumpet, the, the five voice harmonies, he had it all at once. And that's a phenomenon of reaching a higher state of himself, his potential. Through and then the symbols, you can, then the people come running around and they they write the music for good vibrations, let's say, or serpent <laughs> safari. Yeah. So I'm saying that because these symbols uh, are around us, and I began to study them and realize that they emit a frequency, they activate, say, silent music. So like, like in Brian's mind, he he would look at a staff and the note C, and he'd hear the note C, and if he went a step further, he'd sing it. So there are codes, there's 108 of them, that have to do with information about a blossoming. Like there's codes for the actual rose bush that 
were latent, were passive at the seed level or the sprout level or the stem level or the leaf level, but then become very active like a blueprint so that the previous state of stemness and green leafness and thornness gives way to the flowering. It follows a blueprint. Uh, we have a blueprint. Humans have a blueprint for our next highest level of existence. And that blueprint is um, evident in our hearts. It is something we feel and something we respond to. When we are resonating with love and we're in that state of consciousness, we begin to use that resonance to enhance not only who we are, but who our environment as a whole. Love amplifies love. And the state of consciousness of creativity and light amplifies creativity and light around us. So we're at that threshold where if we get enough people or if nature allows or nature um, nature's call for enough people to recognize what I'm talking about, what you are all about, what your listeners are about, it is not about cruelty or hurting somebody or trying to get something because we don't think we have enough for ourselves and all those lower states. It's not about that anymore. It is we can live together without cruelty and suffering. We can't. This is an intuition that will become reality. And there's codes of information that are allowing us to even have that thought. And they're yeah. active now. They're in the environment, and they're in our bodies, and they're in our minds, and our emotions, and our spirits. So those are the 108 codes uh, that, through a lot of help and a lot of smart people, and by grace, I was able to serve with electronics and crystal oscillators and field-generating devices, and we figured out how to get that, those codes to be transmitted from a computer server to any cell phone. So that's one application, and it's an app, so you can get it on your cell phone. And what happens when you download it from, let's say, the Apple Store or Google, uh, is that these frequencies that are already active in nature come through your, your cell phone. So even if you're in an unnatural environment, the cell phone's not natural. You know, it didn't grow out of a garden. And if we're buildings and computers and TVs and stuff, these are different kinds of frequencies. Now we have life-supporting frequencies, these codes of blossoming life that are coming through your cell phone. And so that's quantum code technology um, and available in the next couple of days on Apple and Google for so is that, one one-time fee. Oh, <laughs> one that's well, it's fabulous. And I, I know that I am going to be downloading this here uh, as soon as possible uh, and, and start using it. I, I love the – I understand what you're saying um, as to the codes and um, – that I mean, it's fantastic, and I I do believe that I do believe that by bringing this this um, this to the population, you know, that what's that more than one percent of the global population, uh, if we're using this, it could be enough to turn the tide, and and I have heard this previously for the fact that you're able to uh, 
to create this app, thank you. Firstly, thank you. Um, I, I, that's fabulous. We need as much help as possible just to turn the tide. So um, what is the name of the app? Um, you can it's just give us the Heart, name. Yeah, the Heart Plus app. So if you search it on Apple or Google, it's H-E-R-T and then the, and then the symbol plus. Okay. Like, a, like an ad sign or plus. So Heart Plus app, it'll, sh- it'll show up. And the, and the website is um, loveisthepower.com. You can get it there okay. as well. Loveisthepower.com. Yeah, loveisthepower.com. Okay, perfect. And people can buy the book there if they want to. Yes, no, that's fabulous. I just think it's a great blend. (laughs) It really is. It's a perfect marriage is what I would say. So thank you. And your book, yeah, it was really, really touched me. Um, Your story of Jane, uh, you know, you're just your personal little stories, and you're very open and honest and, that's what we need, you know, for people to be authentic, and I believe you are. So I, I thank you for coming on. Uh, let's just give your information out once again here for everybody um, and how they um, – is there any other further information to contact you, or or is it uh, – uh, how My do you... own website is robertwilliams108.com, so the, the number is 108, and my name, Robert Williams. 108.com. Okay. Um, Great. And then, yeah, the the, uh, com has all kinds of other things on it as well. I think I'm on there somewhere. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Brenda, you are a light worker, and your audience is, and this is about us. The technology is ours. You know, I'm here in spite Mm -hmm. of, of of myself. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and and it's a it's a collective thing we're doing and we're joining together. So your service is so important and I want to thank you for having me on your show and thanking all your listeners. Yes, I I do believe it's a collective effort and I what I'm finding more and more is that we need to support one another and um, however you find your support groups because um, it can get very heavy and we are going through chaos. So the more that we can uh, really feel that we can be ourselves, be be authentic, uh, share our stories is vital. So uh, we have to find our tribes, our groups, who you resonate with, you know, communicate. Um, So if it um, is communicating with yourself, um, whatever, Find, find, find your tribe, find your people, and so that you remain strong and, and again, can move through this chaos and just feel supported and support others. We're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. And that we do need each other right now. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm going to uh, have this um, show, I'm going to be downloading it on my website, which is um, whisperingenergetic.ca uh, that's whisperingenergetic.ca and I'll have it downloaded and uh, I will send it to you as well uh, Robert and thanks once again I'm I'm excited about this app and uh, for anybody out there I, I really I really recommend purchase the book um, it's very moving and I love the honesty. I, again, I love the fact that Robert's been so authentic, and uh, he's given it all. 
and that's what we need. So thanks everybody for coming on tonight, and we'll be um, we'll be in touch, Robert. I I'll, I'll be in contact with you here uh, soon. <laughs> so yeah, I look forward to that. But thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you once again. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, everybody.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.